0: For well, it's
1: one, two, three, two, you're out at the all ball game. This is Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast with Noah Scott and Brandon Riddle. How are you guys?
2: Doing just great.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Now, now look at okay. If you don't know this, it's part of the Pitchless Podcast Network. Um, Brandon and Noah will give you guys an introduction to it, but it's an it's a phenomenal podcast. I remember talking to Trevor when uh, we were creating these, and we heard your demo essentially, and just thought, "Oh my god, I'm I'm just excited for this one." Cause it's <laughs> you, different know, than, you know, it's, it's not a fancy baseball one. It's a celebration of the history of baseball, and it's evergreen. It's something that you can always just turn on whenever.
2: Yeah, you know, we phenomenal. we were at. Talking about that earlier, if, you know, PitchCon was a pitching arsenal in each segment, its own pitch, fastball, curveball, we'd be the spitball. We're a
1: little (laughs) bit wild. We shouldn't be allowed. And it's just a weird one. (laughs) Sounds great to me. Um, I see you guys have shared something. Would you like me to push this forward? That would be lovely. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to let you guys go Ah. after it. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, everybody, go to pitchlist.com slash PitchCon. Get those final contributions and we can hit this $10,000 goal. I believe it. So go there right now and take it away guys. Thanks Nick. <laughs> All right,
3: thanks Nick. Uh yeah, well uh welcome to a very epis uh very special. See, I already I already I was, I was so looking forward to this. <laughs> I can never get through an intro without uh fumbling it and uh, now I can't edit it because it's live. So And that's uh, what we call it
2: one take Noah.
3: Yep. Welcome to a very special episode of Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that really make America's pastime special. Uh, I'm Noah Scott, and I'm thrilled to introduce my co-host, Brandon Riddle, uh, live and in color here at PitchCon.
2: Man, live and in color, welcome to the 20th century us.
3: (laughs) Yeah, all right. Uh, Brandon, uh, what do we got going on today?
2: so today well we got a lot of stuff going on like you said we are live so we actually have people watching us in real time being able to comment and which we do want to emphasize feel free to comment uh join in we got some trivia to go so if you have any thoughts let us know about it and then in the show itself we got a couple things uh we have the great story jason uh, grimsley and the infamous bat heist of 1994 this is one of my favorite stories uh, then we, of course, have a pickle jar when we talk about past baseball lexicon, you know, fa- fancy I- phrases that we use. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about one of, again, my favorite World Series, a 1942 Negro League World Series. And if we're able to get through all of that in time, we have a little game called Keep, Cut, and Extend. So we'll see yeah. how much of this we get through
3: yeah we'll see um i always really like your segments brandon because once again i don't really know a whole lot about what you're going to talk about but i, I like to be do I. surprised <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> all right uh but like you said let's start things off with a little bit of trivia um feel free uh in the comments to so, so just throw up some guesses here uh but who is the only player to hit a home run in the world series for three different teams uh Do you have any any first initial
2: ideas, Brandon? I do. I think I know it. Um, Okay. I'll I'll, I'll give some some folks a chance to maybe guess in the comments. I'm going to kind of talk about my thought process here. So, of course, it has to be somebody who's played in multiple World Series, uh, not just for one team, but with multiple teams, which kind of narrows it down a little bit. And someone who has some pop in his bat that can hit home runs. So I think... Um, it's a former MVP from the 1980s um, who played in three oh. straight World Series with three different teams each time. Don Baylor, former Diamondbacks hitting coach.
3: Wow, that was a very well thought out guess. Uh, you're wrong, unfortunately. No. Um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> oh, I thought
2: I, thought I had that one.
3: I. You sounded really confident, and that's really that's all that matters, right? Uh,
2: so um, not Don Baylor. Okay.
3: Not Don Baylor. Do you have any any other guesses or uh, um, anyone
2: else? So do we have a time frame here?
3: Uh, yeah, I'll give you a time frame. You were right in the sense that uh, it was, uh, you know, 80s. Uh, so 1989 to uh, 2001. Uh, you being a Diamondbacks fan, uh, this is okay. kind of lobbed up for you.
2: Well, you, you just said 2001. So now I'm going to have to figure out. So it's obviously not great counsel. He had the home run in game one. Um, and he played in that, in the Maryland's World Series in 97. But I don't think he hit a home run there. Um Gonzer, of course, went deep, but he was in other World Series. Jay Bell was a power guy, but he didn't play. Matt Williams? Because he played Oops. with the Giants. Um, and I'm yeah. tr- is it Matt?
3: It's Matt Williams. Nice hey! <laughs> uh, that was a very well thought out. See, this Look- is why I was asking the question because I, I would have immediately blanked if it had been thrown to me. Uh, but yeah, Matt Williams uh, with the Giants in 1989, with Cleveland in 1997, oh. and of course with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001. Man, not I, exactly, I, not exactly who you think of when you think Mister October. But uh, you well,
2: know, Matt Matt Williams is kind of a, a weird, odd player because in '94, before the lockout began, he was on pace to shatter the home run record. Yeah, uh, like yeah, he was a he was a great power hitter for a while there. So, it's not terribly surprising, but yeah. Annie's well, part of the the Cleveland team, which is one of the best teams out there cuz they had so many great players. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh and
3: we are actually going to be talking all about those Cleveland teams. Uh now, for those of you who have been listeners uh since the start of the podcast, uh one of our, I guess I don't know if i call it like a safe place for us, but we love talking about 90s Cleveland <laughs> ballplayers and just uh, 90s and 2000s ballplayers in general, because there's just something about that nostalgia that really sets in uh, in that era.
2: For uh, us, at yeah, least.
3: <laughs> <laughs> for us, at least. We could be totally off base with uh, anyone else. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So at we, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, we're going to be talking all about this super whack story about Jason Grimsley and the infamous bat heist of 1994. Now, at first glance, I I I think he looks fairly innocent in that photo. I don't know if that's the the face of Ugh. you know uh. Grimsley has criminal. another story,
2: but we'll get into that later. So yeah, maybe <laughs> he looks pretty innocent there. Sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so it all started on July fifteenth, nineteen ninety four, a day that will forever live in infamy. the ch- The top yeah. charting songs were "I Swear" by All for One and uh, "Regulate" by Nate Dogg and Warren G. I I don't know those. I'm so sorry. Really? Oh, you gotta know "Regulate." So good. Maybe maybe? Uh, for context, Cleveland was sitting atop of the AL Central standings, uh, clinging on to a slim lead over the Twins and the White Sox in a tight three team race for the division. Uh, Now, this '94 Cleveland team had some really iconic names that you can see here, like Jim Tomey, Kenny Lofton, Manny Ramirez, Mm. and uh, yeah, yeah, and Carlos Baerga. Uh, who combined for uh, 13 and a half war over the course of the season. So they were really stacked. That lineup had some serious some serious talent in it. Uh and then as I was researching this, they actually had two starters in the rotation that were uh age 39 and up in Dennis Martinez <laughs> and Jack Morris, which is oh, hey. something you don't really see anymore, uh but I, don't know, I always think that stuff's pretty interesting. I wonder why. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Cleveland traveled out to Comiskey for the matchup. And at the time, like I said, the White Sox sat just two games back of first place. Uh, and they, in their own right, they were no slouches. And they had some big names of their own. Uh, most notably, uh, the big hurt, Frank Thomas. Uh, and uh, Julio Franco, who was 35 oh, at Oh, you Julio the time. Franco. <laughs> 35 at the time. And he would go on to play another decade in MLB. <laughs> uh, I,
2: I, We need an entire episode dedicated to Franco because I love that man. Yeah.
3: Did you uh you
2: have any of these these cards in your in your collection growing up? You know, back when I had the cards, um, those specific ones, I don't think so, but I do remember uh, obviously by erriga love lofton, and I'm sure I had multiple Ramirez cards. Yeah, well lo- that Kenny Lofton picture is iconic. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh
3: but among that stable of stars, the hottest player of the day was Cleveland's left fielder, Albert Bell. Now, uh, for a little bit of context as to what he was doing in 1994, he comes into this uh, into July 15th with a 1.139 on base plus slugging. Uh, he'd end up end uh, finishing the year with a 194 uh, weighted OPS and a 186 uh, WRC
2: plus. Those sound like really good numbers, I got to say.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's that's exactly it. If you're not super uh, familiar with with those terms. He was amazing. That's pretty much all you need to know there. Um, he led the league with 294 total bases and ended up finishing third in MVP voting. Uh, so he was in the middle of a tear. And when you have Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lofton in that lineup, and you're still the be- the most feared hitter, you, you gotta be lineup. right. You gotta be eating your wheaties, right? Um, so anyway, <laughs> leading up to the first pitch, uh, the White Sox manager uh, Gene Lamont was actually tipped off that Albert Bell might have been using a corked bat. Uh, now, what is a corked bat? You might ask. Uh, so, just a very quick primer. Uh, so, that's essentially uh, you take a baseball bat, you drill a hole in the barrel, you fill it with cork, which uh, makes the bat lighter and, in theory, makes the ball bounce more off of the bat. Now, we know a little more about uh, corked bats now, and this has kind of been proven false and is a little bit pseudosciencey uh, Thanks a lot, uh, but, physics.
2: Yeah, I- ruining the fun. <laughs>
3: in theory it sounds pretty fun uh but anyway so the the manager uh doing his due diligence he warns the home plate umpire uh dave phillips before the game who uh you know gets ahead of it and confiscates albert bell's bat and locks it away in the umpire's dressing room uh to be inspected later uh now at the time only two players had ever been caught with corked bats. Uh, bats excuse me uh greg nettles of the yankees oh, really? who yeah He's back again. Yeah. Uh the the rap scallion, he actually made an appearance in Short hops 32. Uh and then Billy Hatcher of the Astros. Uh, mm. Now both got 10 game suspensions. So uh you know the the truth is though, uh Albert's bat it was corked. Uh and Cleveland the team knew <laughs> that his bat was corked. Uh and they also knew that uh they'd lose their hottest hitter for 10 games while they were in the heat of this battle for the division. Uh so clearly Something had to be done about this. Enter our hero, Jason Grimsley. Ooh. Now, Jason Grimsley is a starting pitcher. He's in his fifth MLB season, and to this point, he'd been uh, mostly below average to average. Uh, you know, he had a 85 weighted ERA. Um, you know, 16 percent strikeout percentage, 9.2 percent walk percentage,
2: mm-hmm. uh, 4.58 ERA. Those, those don't sound like great numbers.
3: <laughs> he was just—I mean, well, you also got to take into account steroid era. Uh hard to oh, pitch. That's true.
2: That's true. Uh
3: but he uh yeah, so he he wasn't wasn't setting the world on fire, essentially. Uh now, right here you'll see that he was 6'3 and 180 pounds. Keep that in mind for, for the rest Wheaties. of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Grimsley uh was not scheduled to pitch that evening. And so he said he was just sitting in the dugout and he, you know, his thought comes to his head and he's like, I can get that back. So the Cleveland team knew that the dressing room had a false ceiling with removable tiles, uh, possibly creating an opportunity to climb above the clubhouse uh, and into the umpire's chambers.
2: Now now let, let's take, let's take a moment to consider what is about to happen. Uh, Jason sitting in the dugout and he right. knows that the star of the team's bat is illegal as in the umpire's, you know, private quarters. And he's thinking, you know, I can do this. I bet you, I can steal this bat back.
3: Well, he was a very that's adventurous, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's great. That's It's a very, like, 19, like, early 20th century baseball story that we kind oh, of yeah, love to talk 100%. about here. Um, it just happens to take place in 1994. And
2: then Ty told him to do it.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. He whispered in his ear. Uh, So anyway, Grimsley devised a plan. Now, this is really cool. So I was actually able to unearth, for the first <laughs> time ever, Jason Grimsley's original heist scheme. He wrote it down. <laughs> in crayon
2: um, so <laughs> because we had to make a podcast as well you have to explain exactly what we're seeing here to that's the right people that's right over audio
3: um so i definitely personally <laughs> i did not uh make a dumb little uh crayon map with his little scheme but as you can see here he's climbing through the uh the ceiling right here uh, okay. uh lowering down like tom cruise and mission impossible uh pulling a switcheroo with the bats uh you know that hopefully they end up winning the game Anyway, in the sixth inning of this contest, Grimsley puts his plan into action. <laughs> I love that. Uh, this is, you you can't did, give me so, did such a good elements. job in that. You can't give me visual elements because I'm going to take it way too far. Uh, but so, like I said, in the sixth inning, uh, he, he goes for it, right? He grabs a flashlight and an uncorked bat belonging to his teammate, Paul Sorrento, and then climbs up into the ceiling inside of the manager's office. Now he's crawling over and around piping and wires, and so he slowly found the way to the umpire's dressing room, uh, doing his best not to slip and fall (laughs) through the ceiling. Again, he's 6'3 in 180 pounds. This is a grown man climbing through the vents. After (laughs) around 30 to 40 minutes, uh, he thought he'd found the dressing room, but when he removes the tile to drop down, he actually realized they'd miscalculated, and he was instead looking directly down at a groundskeeper just relaxing on the couch. Uh, He's got a great quote from this, and he says... I had to put the tile back down, but he had, or he said, I put the tile back down, but he had to know, thank goodness, he didn't say anything.
2: And uh, keep in mind, he's in full uniform as well.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. This is in the middle of the game. This isn't something that they did, you know, before first pitch. This is the sixth inning. Uh, and so he's just rooting around up there and he's six, hes 180 pounds. He could not have been quiet, uh, but he moves around a few feet. And then he actually is able to emerge in the umpire's room uh, alone. Uh, and he says, you know, my heart was going a thousand miles an hour. And I just, I went in, I just rolled the dice. It was a crapshoot. So <laughs> he jumps down onto a refrigerator and makes the, the swap. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Drawing should be a prize. Uh, and he makes the swap. Now you might be wondering why he swapped uh, Albert Bell's bat for his teammate Sorrento's instead of uh, for another one of Bell's. Uh, because as you know, many of you who have seen a major league bat, they obviously have the name etched into it right by the by the lumber company uh well the reason he didn't swap it out for another one of bell's bats is because all of albert bell's bats were corked every single one of them uh so they pretty much just took the next best option uh and so he he grabs it and so he quickly uh he swaps the bats out and then he scurries back up into the ceiling and i guess as soon as he he like gets hidden uh he hears someone walk into the room and he just says he's like i had to sit there for about two minutes i was 20 or 30 (laughs) feet from somebody (laughs) which is is just i'm just imagining this this like it sounds like it's straight out of a movie right like kind of like slapstick just hiding like all all like tangled up in the in the ceiling Uh, But he did say, you know, he thought he was very sneaky about it. Uh, He was feeling very satisfied. And he actually escaped back to the Cleveland clubhouse uh, to show off the the bat to his teammates. And who, for one, they were just completely taken aback that he just had the audacity to try such a thing. (sighs) And then, of course, they were super hyped up because he just, you know, he he was successful. Uh,
2: Uh, What do you think would have happened if he was cuts? Like, what, what, what kind of repercussions are we looking at here? You think
3: I'm sure that Bud Selig would have had a very measured and
2: well-thought-out approach. That's very reasonable of you. You're correct. No. Just, it's, just um, a chunk of, it's just a chunk of wood anyway, so hey.
3: <laughs> anyway, so Cleveland goes on to win the game 3-2. to two. It's a great success, right? Uh, well, yeah, more or less. Uh, now, Albert Bell did end up going 1-4 for four with two Ks. Uh, he just hit a single, didn't have uh, no RBIs, which that's a solid day it's maybe not for bell at the time who was on fire uh so it seems like he got away with it right wrong uh so umpires they pretty much immediately knew the bats had been switched (laughs) because uh in addition to having the wrong name now on albert bell's bat uh they returned back to their dressing room and they found bits of ceiling and uh you know like dust sprinkled around the room because Grimsley, he's you know massive and he's just not as sneaky as he initially thought, right? (laughs) Uh, So then the commissioner's office demands that Cleveland produces uh, Albert Bell's heisted lumber. uh, And they actually threatened to order an FBI investigation and they're, they're threatening prosecution if Cleveland didn't comply. Uh, So, you know, with their tail between their legs, they give the bat back, uh, which was in fact determined to have been corked. Uh, Bell was originally suspended for 10 games, but it was reduced to seven on an appeal, Uh, And it was actually a mystery for a long time uh, as to who had actually stolen the bat until Grimsley uh, now on the Yankees, a couple of years later uh, revealed that he was behind the caper uh, himself in an Mm. interview with the New York times. Uh, Now in the interview, uh, he defends himself. He said, Hey, look, I had the interests of the team at heart. And that was one of the biggest adrenaline rushes I have ever experienced. This was somebody who pitched on a major league mound. And he said that sneaking around in the vents and in between the (laughs) walls was like, you know, that's,
2: what a silly thing (laughs) yeah Um, so i'm gonna kind of put you in the corner here i don't know if you know the answer oh no so bell was suspended for 10 games uh was he suspended that season or is it later on so
3: so it was actually
2: the standings it was reduced to seven on appeal
3: um and then as we both know nothing else uh of uh, importance happened in the 1994 season that's a good point um no, anyway, so for those of you who don't know, because there might be a couple of you, uh, the season ended up being canceled, uh, and uh, he actually didn't finish out the rest of his suspension in 1994. Literally. Yeah, because this was like. But oh, right... it, it
2: didn't carry over to '95 season.
3: I don't, I don't recall if it did. Uh, okay. I'll, 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 I could go back in and research and and give you an answer to that maybe in our next episode. Sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, but luckily you know, baseball would never lock out again because that's a silly idea. um. All right. On to our next oh, segment, the pickle jar.
2: I feel I feel like we need like a debriefing for that last segment. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, uh so yeah, the the pickle jar. So what we do here, intrepid listeners, is we break down um, a phrase that baseball uses. You know, we used on deck in the whole Baltimore Chop, and we talk about what it means and where it comes from. And this one is one of my absolute favorite baseball terms, muffinism. Now I, I'm pretty sure Noah knows what this means because I talk about it quite often. Um if anyone has any idea, you know, feel free to let us know. Uh, but if, if before I told you what muffinism meant to Noah, what do you think it could have meant? So
3: so, yeah, Brandon's been wanting to do muffinism for the pickle jar for a while. Uh, and, yeah, like he said, this is just a segment we use to, you know, find the meaning behind certain weird slang, right? Uh, in terms of muffinism, I got to say, because you've told me and I honestly don't remember very oh, well. Oh, man, you're breaking my heart. So, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brandon. Um, my guess is, I, I know it's it's like 1800s, 1900s, like early, early baseball. Um and I think it's just, uh, like, context clues, and maybe this is also me remembering it, but you're just not super, you know, not super athletic, or maybe you don't look very athletic um, out there. Uh, muffin, that
2: kind of makes sense.
3: Sure. I like muffins, though, so I feel – I'm a big muffin guy, um, <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of – Do you, do you like just do the muffin down.
2: tops, or do you do the, do the whole muffin?
3: Well, the tops are the best part, but, you know, okay. I, just I work make through sure. Yeah. This is
2: the content you get at a pictureless podcast, folks. Yeah. <laughs> or at least with Trolltops. Hops. I don't <laughs> want to think you're a list now. Yeah. I apologize. Um, right, so, so let's see what a muffinism actually is. All right. So muffinism, it, it means somebody who is playing exceedingly poorly in their play. So that's like kind of a muffin. So the origin here is, well, back in the 1800s, you had a variety of teams. So you had the starters and then you had the backup squad, the second nine, and then you had the muffin squad. So the muffin squads were the backups of the backups. Yes. Uh, so in 1869, Henry Chadwick defined muffins as a, this is the title of a class of ball players who are both practically and theoretically unacquainted with the game. Some muffins, however, know something about how the game should be played, but cannot practically exemplify their theory. <laughs> Oh, so, muffins are folks that know maybe might know how to play baseball, but they just can't do it. <laughs> I don't.
3: That that is a really like like biting comment, though. That Isn't you're it? both practically and theoretically unacquainted unacquainted with the game, with the game. and yet it's you're not even that you're it. bad. Like
2: like you're just you don't know what you're doing. I love that biting. Not even the It's it's just yeah. uh, insult. <laughs> it's
3: it's and, straight up insult.
2: Yeah, and these muffin. Game teams would actually play games against each other. Uh, they would typically play the game after the main main teams would. And they were quite popular with the crowds. Um, and they offered, quote, biting parodies of baseball. <laughs> so so, so, so kind of like, like,
3: but I feel like muffinism kind of, it, it, it's you're not good, right? But it kind of sounds like the muffin teams were a little bit like the Harlem Globetrotters, except without the skill.
2: Without the skill. Yeah, I would say that. They just amuse the audience. Okay. And uh, weren't very good, All so right. then the term muffinism uh, then came to mean that the f- that the first team ball player is playing like they belong on the muffin team. They're just not doing good, making me maybe maybe you boot <laughs> the ball at second base, you make a muffinism play, and and let me tell you this: if I had the power, this is the one term I'd want reingrain into our baseball uh, culture today. I desperately <laughs> want somebody to make an error and then say well, that was just a muffin play right there. You know, I want, if I want that if any baseball commentators or play by play people are
3: watching this game, if you work in muffinism uh, into a game some somehow, I don't know, we'll do something. It's game, I, over. I, I don't it's know. game over. I That's, want that, that so bad. I agree. I think that would be hilarious <laughs> because we have so many. Like base, the whole thing about baseball slang and language is that a lot of the time it's silly and it doesn't make a whole yeah. lot of sense, and that's so, kind of like the heart of it, right? Yeah. I don't think this would be out of place today. I mean, so maybe if, little, but.
0: if
2: we have to explain what muffinism is, so that that's my favorite um term. What about you know what's what's your favorite baseball term? My favorite baseball
3: term, oh man, caught me on the spot with that one. I liked when we did catbird seat. Uh, catbird a couple, seat was a fun one a couple months ago, uh which is you know you're you're at the top of the the standings, right? You're you know you're looking down yep. on everyone. Um, I always just like this is really boring, but I like the term "bunt" because I feel like that's a good word that explain. Like the sound of it is like exactly it fits. It's very fitting, right? Uh, you know, it's 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 almost onomatopoeia. Yeah. Do you
2: know where that comes from, though? Bunt. I don't. Do you? No, not the top of my head. Okay. Maybe no. maybe we'll we'll save that for we got to that in future. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some jar. research into bunting. <laughs> All
3: right, sounds good. Uh, well, anyway. Bunt goes with muffin. That's fine. Ah, uh, that's a good, you, that's go. a good <laughs> written pun. Um. Anyway, Brandon, uh, tell us all about the 1942 uh, Negro League World Series. Now, I don't, I don't know anything about this, so I'm, I'm
2: gonna sit back and uh, and, and heckle when appropriate. Sure. I am going to heckle <laughs> you the whole time. That that's that's fine. You can throw peanuts from me from California. <laughs> all right. So the 1942 Negro League World Series. Uh, This was the Kansas City Monarchs taking on the Homestead Grays in, honestly, one of the most event-worthy World Series I know of. So some quick little background here. So these are the two most historic teams in the Negro Leagues, at least two of the three, really, most historic teams in the league. Uh, The Kansas City Monarchs, they were the powerhouse here, winning the National League 5 of the prior six seasons, and would end up with over 1,200 franchise victories, second most in Negro League history. And this iteration of the Monarchs were led by one of the greatest pitchers of all time, who was around, maybe possibly 40-ish years old. You know what I'm talking about here?
3: I I, I might have an idea, and I'd actually, uh,
2: I'd go as far as to say that I consider him the greatest pitcher of all time. There we go. We just got it in the comments. Satchel Paige, absolutely. Yes, sir. Now, in the other dugout across the field was the legendary Homestead Grays. Their all-time roster is absolutely stacked. You have Cool Papa Bell, one of my favorite players, Oscar Charleston, Judy Johnson, Buck Leonard, and in 1942, they were led by possibly the greatest catcher of all time, Josh Gibson, the black Babe Ruth. Or as he said, Babe Ruth was the white Josh Gibson. So, the stage is set for these monumental teams to clash with these great players about to oppose each other. Uh, so, in game one, well, maybe not much happened in game one here. Uh, Satchel Page, of course, led out the series with the Monarchs and performed as you would think. Uh, he went five innings to score this ball, including a 420 foot flyout by Josh Gibson. The guy hit the ball 420 feet and it was a flyout. I <laughs> love those things. You think feelings. he was a little irritated by that? <laughs> He must have been like in any almost any field except like the Polo Grounds. That's a home run. Yeah.
3: I was going to say, I would think, like, I, I, I
2: where do, do you know where they're playing? Oh, you know what? I know where they played in every other game except for game one. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. I feel bad about that. Uh, so, so Josh Gibson flew out 420 feet and the Grays would crumble by committing six errors in the final four innings, which led to a Kansas City victory. So, Kansas City up yep, one nothing. That's not a recipe for success. Six errors. No. no, six errors is a bad day. But that takes us to game two and that seventh inning. This is a legendary moments. Uh, this was took place. It was pretty bad weather actually. Uh, people thought the game was going to be canceled just because it was so bad out there, and so not many fans showed up to witness this. Uh, but of course, the show must go on. Uh, so Satchel page was scheduled to start the game. Again, after starting game one, because that makes sense. Uh, But he relinquished the ball to Hilton Smith, uh, saying that Smith, the pitcher, deserved the honor. And so he went on to pitch five scoreless innings. Excellent. And then, of course, Smith was relieved by Satchel Paige. (laughs) And really quick, before we jump into this big moment. uh, So it was played in uh, Griffith Stadium in D.C. So kind of odd dimensions there. So Satchel Paige is now in the game. Um, he pitches one inning six, does well, and in the seventh inning, uh, with Satchel's Kansas City up by two, something magical happens. Well, I mean, I mean, something magical definitely did happen, uh, but just how it happened is kind of up for grabs here. So we're gonna go with the full-fledged legend of the moment first. So Satchel Paige and the Homestead Grays catcher Josh Gibson, they both went way back with each other. Uh, they had played across the country multiple times, or across multiple countries, rather, uh, since 1930. And they knew each other pretty well, having played with and against each other for those years. Uh, and of course, anyone who knew anything about Negro League Baseball knew about Satchel Page. And anyone who was anyone knew Josh Gibson uh, held the records for longest home runs across Major League Stadiums. So this was a big moment. However, Satchel also knew that Gibson had been going through a rough patch that year. So early in 1942... Gibson was just under a cloud. He had gained significant weights, up to 225 pounds. Uh, he was found drinking in the bullpen, had a difficult time crouching behind the plate as a catcher, and was just not having a good time. Uh, now, Gibson did manage to turn to the rounds. Uh, he ended up hitting uh, 313 on the season with 181 OPS plus, which is great, uh, but is still far below Josh's standard. And he came back in uh, 1943 to hit at least 400 over the course of the year. So he was just in kind of that weird funk in 1942, which I think we all get right now. So now we're going back to that (laughs) seventh inning. Yeah. So now we're going back to that seventh inning. Uh, Satchel, he is in his second inning of work and quickly gets two outs. Up comes a speedster, Jerry Benjamin, who absolutely ropes a triple off page. So Satchel, he kind of walks around the mound a little bit talks a bit with his manager, and decides to intentionally walk the next batter. So that way you have outs, you know, first, second, good to go. Uh, But instead of pitching to the next batter, he intentionally walks the following batter as well to load the bases in a (laughs) World Series game. (laughs) He he intentionally loads the bases in game two of the World Series to face one of the most feared hitters of all time, Josh Gibson.
3: You just gotta love, like, like the ego that pitchers have obviously satchel page you know great greatest of all time but you know just like that mentality that it takes to be a pitcher and and like no i want the best versus the best you know yes my my best pitch hit it
2: especially uh, when you're a negro league player in the world series like the amount of crap you had to get through just to get to that point is incredible and satchel is one of the most legendary showmen of all time in baseball easily uh, so he kind of knew the stage he was on and wanted to set that moment. So as the story goes, uh, so again, satchel knows what the kind of hardships Gibson's going through and decides to start ribbing him. So as oh, Gibson, yeah, I know. So as Gibson is stepping up to the box, uh, Satchel yells out, Remember when we were both playing with the Crawfords? And I said, I'm the best pitcher in the world, and you're the best batter. Then I said, one day we're gonna meet and see what's what. And Josh is kind of dig it in and he goes, I remember. And then Satchel yells out again, he's gonna throw a fastball, leather high. Wow. And fastball, leather high, strike one. So so and and uh... So
3: he's he's reading out he's he's like telegraphing what pitch he's. Throwing. Oh, he's not, he's
2: not just telegraphing. He's not you know tipping his glove a certain yeah, way yeah. when this pitch is he's coming. Telling. He's straight up yelling to Gibson, "This is what's wow. coming. Hit it or don't."
3: That's incredible. Like in this, it's it's not like you're you're pitching to like the the last guy off the bench. This is Josh Gibson. Like he might not yeah. be in his wow. That's that's incredible. I mean,
2: at this point, Gibson's still I think thirty years old. So it's yeah. not like he's washed up at this point. Oh yeah, <laughs> and so that was the first pitch. And then Satchel gets the ball back from the catcher, and he yells out that he's going to throw another fastball at the belt. Strike two. <laughs> so
3: fast now you're just piping it right down the middle at him.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Still can't get it. Satchel's, and Satchel at this point, point, you know, 38, 41-ish, around. so he's getting up there and still firing it fast. And at this point, remember, the crowd is pretty thin just due to that bad weather. So they're able to hear what Satchel's yelling out to Gibson and so they know the two strikes, and Satchel is telling them exactly what's coming. They get into it. They start hollering. <laughs> and so Satchel gets the ball, looks down to plate, and says, "This fastball will be a pee at your knees." What is and that? And it came strike three.
3: <laughs> wow! Wait, did so? So did Gibson watch that one?
2: He watched all three pitches, according to the legend. Wow. Wow, I mean, he's, he's really pitching so, yeah, at that point, he's probably saving up for this at-bat, Satchel was, and just let it rip. And just keep in mind, he intentionally loaded the bases to get the black babe, Ruth, and then he called every single pitch and got the strikeouts. That uh, is... It's incredible.
3: If I had a time machine and could pick
2: any moment in baseball history,
3: I think this would be probably number one. Oh, like, yeah. That's... Between
2: this and the babe calling the shot, just, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, really. Calling the shot and calling the pitches, it's in the World Series.
3: Yeah, it's but the, the babe situation. also, the babe wasn't hitting off of Satchel Paige. That's <laughs> you <know>? also true. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's incredible. But but again, that is just the legend. What actually happens? Well, according to the newspapers um satchel did get he did uh, get that first batter out and then he gave up a single and got a force out so there were two outs and then the next two batters uh, supposedly singled which loaded the bases for Josh Gibson who then Paige struck out on three pitches uh so okay. he didn't probably didn't intentionally walk but he did strike gibson out on three pitches in the world series and did he call his shots uh, Time machine, man. We don't know. I, I'm a believer by heart. I'd, I'd like
3: to like to think that he did, right? You know, it's, oh,
2: it makes yeah. it more interesting. And well, unfortunately, the first written record of that occurring uh, was about five years later, I think. And then uh, Central Page he wrote about it in his autobiography, which then just exploded everywhere. So, you know, who's to say? Yeah, but uh so Kansas City ends up uh winning. That's correct, 2 0. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they uh, take a 2 0 lead, uh, which takes us to game three at Yankee Stadium with 25,000 folks in attendance. Uh, the Grays had veteran pitcher Ray Brown on the mound, and Kansas City started with, yeah, Satchel Page. <laughs> and uh, now this one doesn't really have a moment of mystique like uh, game two. Uh, it ended in a 9 3 Kansas City victory to take a commanding lead in the series. But game 3 was just the first half of a planned doubleheader. Uh, you see they played in the morning and at nights they played the other game and the Mariners won
3: 5-0. You're telling me that they were trying to do a doubleheader in the World Series. That's correct. That's um, that is almost like the most unbelievable part of this,
1: this <laughs> oh, story,
2: right? We're, we're just starting here because <laughs> okay. they won the second game which should have ended in a sweep. However, the game was planned as an exhibition and did not count in the series. Okay. Uh, so they won four games in the World Series, but they didn't count. And they continue on to actually play six more exhibition games between games three and four of the World Series. And they only played each other one more time in that span. In fact, they went on to play so many games that the Homestead Grays got physically beat up. Uh, at least one player broke an arm, sprinkled in a few of the injuries. And allegedly the Greys lost two players to the military draft. Wow. So they were kind of beat up. I just can't I, imagine playing a
3: whole like like just putting a pot, putting a pin in in like the World Series. Yeah, and right? say, so, you know what?
2: Let's do some exhibitioning instead. Yeah. Ooh. And that takes us to game four, take one, which I guess technically should be game four, take, take two. One. Because the other one. <laughs> yeah, so it's game four revision something. Uh, So this game took place a full week after the official game three. Uh, And the Homestead Grays, they didn't have any of the usual pitchers on the uh, mounds, all these injuries coming up. Uh, So they had somebody known as, as the papers put it the following day, quote, Pitcher Day on the mounds. So we had Pitcher Day going up against, um, well, Satchel Paige. (laughs) And whoever Pitcher Day was, was phenomenal in that game. He struck out 12, walked one, and at the plate, got himself a double. He outdueled Satchel, for crying out loud. Um, So who was Pitcher Day? Well, it turns out that the Grays actually signed multiple players from across the league to fill in for the (laughs) remainder of the series. Yeah. Uh, They were so riddled with injuries and lost players uh, that they just signed others. And it just so happens that maybe they signed some of the best players in the league. Uh, And so that pitcher Day was actually future Hall of Famer uh, Leon Day, who was, quote, as good or better than Bob Gibson.
3: Wow. Wow. So so it's not like they got like you know when the team expands you get like whoever's left over doesn't get protected. They were just picking out the the superstars, right, to fill yeah. The, the Yeah, gaps. like they could, okay. they could
2: have gone down to the muffin team and picked some of those guys up, but they <laughs> said no, I like the call back. They said no. We're going to yep. get who we got. It's respectable. Uh, yeah, I mean that's hey, who, why not? Now, uh, as you can imagine though, Kansas they didn't really like what just happens. Uh, they famously said that we didn't play the Homestead Grays. We lost the National League All Stars. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, protested the game and had the results canceled. And so, in their defense, the Grays said they did ask Kansas City for permission to use additional players um, in exchange for certain, quote, demands, uh, but the Grays just <laughs> denied that claim. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes us to game four, part two. Electric Boogaloo. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, <laughs> no, so I'm this, here for it. Excellent. This game was scheduled to take place in Wrigley Field, uh, but weather conditions—I guess it was really bad weather that time of year—pushed uh, the game out to Philadelphia Shibby Park, uh, which made Game Four Part Two take place a full sixteen days after Game Four Part One, which took place a full seven days wow. after the official Game Three. So this is basically like a month between it's World like a month. Series games. Yeah, that's wild. And it was clinch day for Kansas City. Um, so they're going to start the best pitcher. Oh, Satchel Paige. <laughs> Why um, not? Yeah, sure. Except come game time, uh, Satchel wasn't on the mound. Satchel wasn't even new in the stadium. Nobody knew where this guy was. Uh, so the Monarchs were forced to start Jack uh, Matchett, um, who on the left there, yeah. Uh, he, had a re- he had a 1.9 ERA in the regular season. So, okay, if you can't get Satchel, this isn't a bad substitution. Right. Uh, but he promptly gave up three runs. And then uh, he gave up another two in the third to put Kansas City in a 5-2 to two hole. So, why were Satchel? Uh, well, he had been pulled over for speeding on his way to the ballpark nah. because he was late.
3: <laughs> so,
2: he was given a $20 ticket based off that. But when he did finally get to the park, he was immediately put in the game and stopped the bleeding. Uh, he went five in the third, scoreless innings. And the Kansas City would then go on a tear that game, putting up seven unanswered runs the rest of the way and take the series in a clean sweep, four games to zero, or like six games to zero, or something like that.
3: <laughs> right. Wow. And so, so essentially, they just kind of rode Satchel all the way, or, or for most of them. I
2: mean, if you got Satchel, you're going to use him. I, I get that. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when Max Scherzer, obviously, you know, Satchel didn't really necessarily get the rest that – yeah, yeah, we do
2: today but that's that's right. incredible yeah like i said four games he played in got 14 k's and a whip of 0.9 love that whip nice uh other notables josh gibson is 13 at bats he, he didn't do too great Ooh. uh thanks thanks satchel page for that ribbing uh, <laughs> uh he hit below the interstate in batting average uh then we did some honestly notable- i would
3: be I was just going to say, like, I would be completely mentally out of out of order if somebody told me exactly what pitches they were going to throw and, and then, then, then still beat wild. me. Like, I, I, it's totally understandable.
2: <laughs> and some other notables, actually probably the best performers. Uh, Bonnie Sorrell had a hit over 500 with five RBIs, and he tied Babe Ruth's record of 10 hits in a four-game World Series. So right off wow. the bat, look at that. And uh, Bill Jesse-Williams. Five stolen bases in the series, which is still a four game World Series record. Wow. That's pretty. And, yeah, I actually have a little bit of a trivia question for you. Uh, do you happen to know who has the most stolen bases in the World Series all the time? <sighs> you know okay. who? You definitely know. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just curious.
3: See, this, this is, is where hysterical. you really
2: you expose me in front of the world.
3: <laughs> um okay so i'm just gonna immediately go with the safe answer i actually don't even know
2: did ricky i don't know <laughs> Was it ricky it was the guy i ricky. assume it's not it was the guy ricky passed lou brock
3: lou brock okay uh-huh. okay yeah
2: that okay That's, uh... so yeah that is uh the story of the 1942 negro league right. world series and i just barely scratch the surface on that thing like if you guys want to go read on it i strongly suggest it um it's just a great time i i love those leagues so much
3: yeah And uh, it does look like we have a little bit of time left, so we're going to try and cram this game in here, a little audience participation. But on our podcast, we do like to play a game uh, that, you know, it's an excuse to talk about some guys. Uh, But we play it. It's called Rent Extend Cut. And the idea is we take three players from uh, throughout baseball history from a variety of positions, uh, and we pretty much uh, just were considering their entire career. Uh, which one would you want to rent if you're in the, uh, you know, the midst of a postseason chase, uh, which one would you want to build a statue of, right. And make your, your team, mm-hmm, the face mm-hmm. of your team and which one's getting left off the roster today. We've got some great, uh, nineties and two thousands legends. We've got Edgar Martinez, uh, Kenny Lofton's back. And then, uh, Chase, and your favorite Utley, the guy, uh, the man actually, um, so <laughs> <laughs> adding some respect to his name. Well, that's that's what they called him. Um. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, if you're in the uh, in the comments, feel free to uh, just kind of assign one to each, and we'll get this going. Uh, so, because- so, so,
2: the idea is that you're in the midst of a pennant race, or so it's the beginning yeah. of the season. Okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, and then you're we're considering just their whole career here. Uh, so, all right, so. Brandon, um, what is what initially like jumps to mind? What are you immediately kind of leaning towards?
2: Like I, I understand how much Edgar Martinez means to the just to the Mariners and the fan base. uh, What he's capable of, what he did in playoffs. Um, I was actually just in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and I passed Edgar Martinez Drive. Like that's that's kind of cool. So I I get him. Uh huh. Um, Kenny Lofton, man. you know outfield center field played some of the best defense out there was phenomenal uh, and, and played a game i'd love to watch and then he got uts um i think we're all very familiar with uts uh, what you call him? uts <laughs> uts <laughs> yeah i've never heard that before you never heard that oh man that we used to say it all the time um it was okay. Utz and um uh kinsler was baby kins because <laughs> they're kind of linked in my mind Ian yeah kinsler, okay. yeah um, okay, he's not sure. part of this conversation <laughs> sure <laughs> so for me um, I think I want to extend Lofton because I love okay. watching that kind of play love it to death I want to see that guy play every day for the years to come uh, and that takes me down to two but before I get there let me ask you who are you um, well, renting we... I, th- I think we know who you're going to keep <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah. So I'm definitely uh, erecting a statue of uh, Chase Utley in front of my my stadium. I'm sorry to uh, all of the people that dislike Chase Utley out there, but um, he's incredible. Uh, and and what's interesting is kind of like they're they're all fairly similar in value. Um, now the thing about Chase that I really love though is that like for five straight years, you know, he that was more than seven war hundred thirty uh, WRC yeah. plus. And I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but for a full decade uh, between 2004 and 2013, uh, he was second in MLB in WAR behind only yeah, Albert Pujols. He, he was an absolute phenomenal player. I do remember that absolutely. He's a monster. You know, he had incredible defense. Uh, you know, he led the league in Ultimate Zone Rating and, during. And the he kind of came peak. up
2: late, didn't he? Like he he didn't come up as like a 20 year old or anything like that. Yeah,
3: I believe he was like 26 ish. Um, mm-hmm. I see in the in the comments we have a lot of Edgar Love, uh, and that's that's actually probably going to lead me. I think it's harder for me to determine between Edgar and Kenny Lofton because I love Kenny. I've met Kenny. He's just such a fun, exciting player. Also, Edgar <laughs> Martinez is is like a generational talent hitting, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he pioneered the DH position. And I think it really comes down to how much do you value defense? Uh, for me, I think that uh, Edgar is probably just if, if I'm, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, when we play these games, it's not necessarily pick your who's the best. It's it's also like, you know, we, there's... You got to follow your heart. You got to follow your heart. That's what baseball <laughs> is about, right? You know, you pick, pick the guys you grew up watching. That's why, you know, I'm a little biased towards Chase. Uh, I think if I'm in the middle of a playoff hunt, though, I want Edgar's bat in the lineup. Yeah. Because he he was just on a whole nother level. I mean, he played almost 20 years and, you know, he he hit 312, right? He had seven Mm -hmm. straight years above 150 WRC plus. uh, And he actually, he walked more than he struck out. He had, uh, you know, almost 15% walk rate uh, versus, uh, you know, around a 14% K rate. Uh, And I think that in the grand, like, tapestry of baseball history, just like, just like, like, uh, like, just what he did for the designated hitter position, uh, and you know, that's but that's not something cursed. to be, yeah, blessing and a curse. I know we're both, we're both, uh, National League guys. Uh, so it, I theorist. guess it, it really also just, just hinges on how you feel about, uh, the designated hitter. Uh, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a more impactful bat to have in your lineup as mm-hmm. you're, you're fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, and of course, Kenny Lofton, though. So I found this out about Kenny Lofton that he when was, was great. I was doing this research, I knew he was great. And all, <laughs> all, all three of these guys, I, that's I think, that's true. Yeah. You know, it, it, they should be in the Hall of Fame, Kenny especially. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I found this out. So between uh, two, uh, 1992 and 1996, about I think yeah five years, he stole 325 bases. What? Like he he cleared 70 or he he hit 70 stolen bases twice. I can't imagine anyone today doing well, that.
2: Do you re- do you remember his? Uh, or do you know if you're looking at it? His success rate in stolen bases there. I. Don't off of the top of my head, but I'm just I will gonna say guess it's about 95% then I, I'm just going to guess is, it's 95% no success way. rate. <laughs>
3: there's no way for how, how often he's stole. I mean, it's nice to think about, but uh, I will say though, uh, my guy, Chase Sutley had the second best stolen base per, uh, success percentage of all time. Uh, always, so who are you cutting? Who am I cutting? I, I got to think uh, within the scope of the game that we have here, I got to cut Kenny and I hate it hmm. because I'm, I feel so wrong. I feel so wrong. And, and like, I guess it's also the point is there's not that really is the point. You always come out of this feeling kind of dirty about it and you don't yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that there's, you know, it's for, for the situation. I think that I just rather have Edgar's bat. Of course, Kenny was a premier defender in the outfield. He was uh, actually second in MLB and outfield is, uh, assists with 85 during his, his peak. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's something that's kind of overlooked when we talk about Kenny Lofton is he never, he did not really strike out. And I think that, you know, come playoff time, that's a, it's a nice, Absolutely. that's a good skill to have. You know, he never struck out 90 yeah. times in a season and he did, he played 17
2: seasons. Like that's really incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, i or the extending Lofton because I love that play. I am right. going to rent out Martinez. I want that bat in my lineup down the stretch and Sorry, Yutz. Got to cut. Yeah, it hurts. It's, but I, it's, I, in my mind, I already have a great second baseman on my team, so maybe that's what it is. That's that so makes now it you're just, easier.
3: You're just extrapolating. Yeah, right? I, I already have a <laughs>
2: Morgan, so I don't need Chase. Oh, okay,
3: okay, sure. I mean, you, if you've got the whole All Star team, why not? Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, Mets fans. I got to go with Chase on this one. Um, but uh, yeah, I just feel so dirty cutting Kenny Lofton. <laughs> I just, I good. can't. It doesn't parse well. Uh, but you just. I don't know, and, and I probably will text you tonight at some point. Uh, you know, and kind apologize. Of like, ah, I was wrong. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to apologize. But,
2: uh, <laughs> own it.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll own it. I'm I'm fine being wrong. Um, yeah,
2: and uh, really quick, we had we had mentioned uh, Kenny Lofton barely striking out. Um, I, I I know it's cheating to bring up Bonds, but I, I read a tweet today that uh, from 2001, two years of retirement, uh, Bonds walked more than he swung and missed. Yeah, I mean, he was just a video game it's, character. That's, that's silly, but yeah. So I just wanted to put that in because I thought that, that kind of blew my mind today.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, that's what we're we're here for is is stats like that. Uh, yeah, and uh, it looks like the comments. It looks like uh, people are uh...
2: they're coming out. They're <laughs> Chase, coming out.
3: Chase Utley's World Series parade speech should put him on the team alone. Thank you, thank you. If you, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to re- repeat it here. Uh, but uh, please go on YouTube and find it. I know it. Take take us home. <laughs> <laughs> All right um oops yeah so if you liked what you heard today uh please check us out uh check out some of our other episodes up on apple podcasts or uh up on spotify uh you can follow my good friend brandon riddle on twitter at bd riddle you can find me on twitter at noah a scott six uh and then yeah if you like what you're hearing feel free to subscribe to us on apple Podcasts or spotify to stay in the loop um but brandon i had a great time did you have a great time i always had a great time with you Noah Ace got six okay now i feel like you're pandering <laughs> a little bit um yeah so where are we at on the uh
1: on, so on our oh, i think couch I was was good so now couch. it's just here for the pitch con <laughs> oh man we are we are so close right now it, yeah, it is was... it is absolutely incredible before i ever go into all of that because i want to spend a moment with you guys that photo <laughs> that that, that that's what, I'm sorry that drawing that, that you guys have made is is simply magic it, thank uh, you i don't know how else to put this <laughs> i can it is unbelievable and a, a, a question from chat was can you give this away as a pitchcon prize i 100% can i uh, think i have it right here this is yes this is this is oh my god it needs to be framed we'll we'll it sign it be. yep yep <laughs> All right, so uh, so we'll give that away to a lucky yeah. uh, winner. If you selected uh, a p, uh, actually, if you selected a drawing from Ellen Adair, um, this will be included in that one. Excellent. It's just—I just- am- mean, I want to really point out the Ump Show over here. I think that is my favorite part. I—I uh, I don't know if the report said that the Grimsley had the Ump Show playing inside the room, that, but uh, you know, yeah, just uh, artistic license. The old switcheroo, a happy yeah. Albert Bell. And of course, Clayton's <laughs> gonna win. And like, uh, this is just such gold. I gotta yeah. say, man. Now, before we wrap this up, Nick, I'm just curious as to see who you who you would uh, oh. you know pick for that oh. last game there. I mean, without a doubt, um, you um, you do not touch Chase Utley. Get out of here, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> just not that. I, I was actually in my head trying to figure this out. I feel like the biggest push for a World Series would be Edgar more than Kenny Lofton. Mm-hmm. But Kenny Lofton yeah. is just such an aura, and him, like, right. you can really build around that. That's identity. why you got to keep Lofton, absolutely. Yeah, so you keep Lofton <laughs> and you, uh, you rent Edgar, even though, like, you always want Edgar around. I will say, I know it sounds really stupid, but that's a DH spot that could be helpful elsewhere. And he takes that, and there's less, less flexibility in your mm. daily lineup because of it. So Kenny Lofton is the one I want to hold for a long time. All right, all right, all right. you know, that's <laughs> sound right. Muffinism, my God. How do you say that? Do you say, like, oh, he is going through muffinism? Oh, no. So, like, he just, like, committed a muffinism play. Like, he, it's this mm. muffinism play. Would it
3: work yeah, to call oh, someone a muffin? Is that, like, in the... Um,
2: I'm going to find out and see what kind of uh, <laughs> blowback I get. Is that kind of where he, like, muffed it comes from? I oh. think I think that's where it came from. I, I think oh. that's what I was reading. But, yeah, okay. 1869 is when that came into play. And uh, I want it back desperately
1: amazing amazing guys it's such a good podcast i'm so happy you got a larger stage for it here um such a joy really like it's i'm all about the celebration of baseball in many different forms and there's no better than than what you guys do with short hops and so everybody subscribe to the feed um you know follow brandon riddle and noah scott absolutely and really guys thanks so much for being here thank you so
2: much for the opportunity good luck guys don't forget to donate